uh, to connect. I think it's important that your, your viewers understand that they should be valuing their own time as well. Um, and then when you do reach out, you know, you, you mentioned it earlier there, Brian, um, send a positive message, you know, give someone a compliment. I love when people pump up my ego. Someone says, Hey, saw your video. It's fantastic. Frick, I'll give you 50 minutes of my time just because you, you said you like my content. Hello and welcome to Beyond Networking, the show where we help you build a sustainable career in an unpredictable world. If you learn to weave a network of people who trust you, who feel heard, understood, and valued in your presence, there will always be someone willing to hire you, buy from you, or work with you. So what are you waiting for? Let's go Beyond Networking. Well, hello. I'm Brian Miller. If you're new here, I'm an author, speaker, coach, and consultant on human connection. Some quick housekeeping. I've recently had an uptick in requests for virtual speaking engagements and workshops, TEDx coaching, and even podcast creation consulting. I am thrilled to have such awesome clients, but my wife and I do have our firstborn baby on the way this September, after which I'll be scaling back my availability to focus on being a new dad for a little while. So if you'd like to get something on the books before that happens, just head to the show notes of this episode on beyondnetworkingpodcast.com or your streaming app and click the appropriate link to set up a discovery call or send me an email. This week's guest is Dominic Vogel. Dominic is a cybersecurity expert and an absolutely wonderful conversationalist. We talked about cybersecurity and who's most at risk these days, the value of mentors, entrepreneurship, how to prevent top talent from leaving or fleeing your organization, and of course, his chance encounter story. Plus, Dominic gives us the top two things every individual and organization should be doing to protect themselves from cyber criminals. I don't think I've ever laughed this hard or this often during a podcast recording. If you think cybersecurity is boring, wait until you meet Dominic. He is a riot, and you're going to love this conversation. So without further ado, let's get to it. All right, Dominic, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Brian, I am super stoked for this convo. Let's get at it. <laughs> yes, yes, let's get at it like we haven't been chatting for the last 10 minutes. So <laughs> I know I ruined I ruined the illusion right away. Uh, but, you know, like to be honest, I'm really looking forward to this conversation, and especially because after three seasons of running this show, I feel like I got almost like like too comfortable with with getting getting polished with the way that I conduct interviews and I feel like I've gotten away a little bit from the early days of this podcast when I was really learning about people in the course of the conversation as opposed to really coming in prepared knowing how the conversation was going to go and so uh, I mentioned before you're going to be a bit of a guinea pig in a few different times today uh, I I did less quote unquote prep work today than I have been over the last season or two, because I actually want to learn about your story here in real time and ask the questions that a person would ask if they were discovering that and not just the ones that fit the narrative of the podcast. So I hope that's cool with you. Absolutely. I mean, I did zero prep too, Brian, if we're being honest. So it's all good. Well, there we go. There, there we go. We are both completely unprepared. 
This has epic written uh, all over it. <laughs> I think the title of this episode is going to be "Fake It Till You Make It." Um, so, so, so let's start with with this. This is the. I am going to start with the same question I always do, only because I still think it's the best place to start. Which is, imagine you were at a cocktail party or these days a virtual networking event, and and mm-hmm. someone comes to you cold, has never met you before, and they just say, "Hey, what do you do? What's your answer these days?" <laughs> Good, good question. My my uh, short little elevator pitch in terms of what I do: cyber risk leadership for small and mid-sized businesses. Wow that 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 wasn't an elevator pitch. That that was a that was a I don't know what that was. That was a you're walking past me pitch, and I just I want to get him. I'm gonna get him on the sidewalk, holding the door open, or as the elevator door is closing. That you know what I love about that is I, I I preach this all the time lately when people come to to me for help with their elevator pitch, and I'm like, who has time for an elevator pitch anymore? Nobody's got 30 seconds. What are you kidding? Um, so I love that. So so repeat that, and then let. Let's, let's dive into it. So what was it again? Yeah, so cyber risk leadership for small and mid-sized businesses. That is, I, oh gosh, I love that. Okay, cyber risk leadership for small and mid-sized businesses. That does so many things in, in one tight sentence. So what is cyber risk leadership? So the, the, the premise of it is that you know, cyber risk is a, a risk that's facing all organizations. You know, you know, 10 years ago, it was just the big companies that had to worry about cyber risk, but because of the digital economy, and even now during COVID with even more organizations having to become increasingly more virtualized, Cyber risk and digital risk is, is a risk that, that faces all organizations of all sh- shapes and sizes. And the problem, though, is that with most small and mid-sized organizations, there's no one really within those, those companies that knows how to deal with cyber risk. And I'm not just talking about the, the technical weeds, but even understanding how that how t- technology and business meet and the, and the intersection of risk there. Uh, the large organizations, they all have you know highly paid people who take care of that. A small, mid-sized organization, they have no way of dealing with that. And that often falls onto the CEO, COO, the business owner, and they're too busy trying to make their organization succeed. That's where we come in. And we take that portfolio off their desk and serve them as their trusted advisor and at least run with that so they don't have to be bogged down by that. Yeah. Okay. So I guess my first question would be when you say small and mid-sized, I, I feel like a lot of folks, when they hear small business, they, they think, oh, you mean, you know, the, the corner shop with, with two yes. people or three people, but <laughs> what to you in, in the, in the business world, small and mid-sized yeah. means a very different thing. So what, what is the scope of that? A- absolutely. And you know, the, you ask 10 people what, what, what they think a small mid-sized business means. You, you get 10 different answers. Our, 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 our interpretation of, of that is organizations as small as generally speaking about a dozen employees, all the way up to about a thousand employees. So with with our client base, uh, our, our smallest client, I believe, has about, uh, just under ten employees. Our largest has just under a thousand. So it's pretty much the full the full gamut there. The average size of a you know SMB uh, for us is around seventy five employees. Uh, again, they they, can, they come in all different sectors. Uh, many of them could be professional service firms, like law firms, small accounting firms. Uh, others could be a, a smaller retail shops, uh, manufacturing firms, tech firms. You know, it, it's What's interesting about cyber risk is that it, every organization now uses computers, they use the internet, they deal with data, therefore they have cyber risk and they have to de- deal with it. So are, are there different sorts of risks for a, for a sm- really small local business with, you know, 10 or 12 employees versus a thousand? Or is it because the internet is the internet? It's kind of 
the same risk? What, you know, is it, is it different? And what, what are these risks that we're worried about right now? Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, to me, I think it really comes down to the, to, to the data, you know, the, uh, the data, which an organization uses the data that an organization uh, collects, if they're collecting, even an example of a organization, which maybe, maybe they just sell some little widget, they don't do uh, anything on the internet. If they do, Payroll. I'm hoping they do. They pay their employees. They'll have their social security number. They'll have their their address. They'll have all their personal information. If they don't adequately protect that information, if a cyber criminal comes in and breaks into that small and mid sized business, takes that data, now that company can be sued. They can be held liable. They have to they have to pay uh, um, you know, uh, credit monitoring services uh, to those that were affected. And that's just a really small scale example, but you know, cyber crime as a whole uh, is consistently rated by the World Economic Forum as being one of the top risks facing organizations of all sizes ar- around the world. Oh, I, I believe it because I was one of the many people that was uh, directly impacted by the Equifax yes. um, yep. uh, breach, and it was a nightmare for for. <laughs> two years. And I, it was a nightmare that kept going because I didn't even realize it. Because initially, I had to go through the entire process of freezing everything and shutting things down and this and that. And then I kind of forgot about it. But what had happened, it, this was so nuts. Um, so then, I don't know, a year, two years later, we were buying a house. And I had totally forgotten that happened. And we went to go make an offer quick. After months of searching dozens yeah. of houses, this was it. And we wanted to make a quick offer. And I couldn't make an offer because my credit was frozen. And I had forgotten about the credit freeze. And yeah. then that set off weeks of a nightmare because Equifax wanted some number that they sent me, which of course they never sent me because it crashed while we were all trying to go through that. The website never sent that. And then I yeah. they said I had to mail in something to a post office box and oh my God. So my my question is, I know how easily this can affect on an individual level, on a personal level, yeah. but Equifax got it wrong. Yeah. So how are you getting it right? <laughs> well, really, really, to, to me, it, it, it comes down to, to to doing the basics and doing them well. And you know, with large organizations, uh, you know, like like Equifax, there one of the main problems there was was just poor leadership. You know, uh, mm-hmm. they focused on functionality, they focused on uh, getting services out. You know, security did not get the uh, uh, the due diligence and, and the t- and the time and airtime that, that it deserved there. Uh, even when you watch the the, you know, the former CEO, how how he handled that in the aftermath of the data breach, rather than taking responsibility like any good leader, he blamed some poor person in IT. You know that that was, uh, and I use that as a case study of how not to respond uh, in the aftermath of a data breach. You know, and um, you know Equifax was a massive company; they're, they're going to survive. You know, but the right. uh, what a lot of small and mid-sized businesses don't understand is that. Uh, they're the ones who have the most to lose. You know, I'll often ask people, you know, is it a large company that has the most to lose in the aftermath of a data breach or a small business? And everyone always says, well, it's a large company. They have more money at stake. It's, it's a paradox. It's actually the small, it's an existential threat for small and mid-sized businesses. If you experience a data breach, and especially in, in environments like the U.S., where it's like litigation up the wazoo, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're done. You know, and that's what a lot of people don't know because you don't see those stories on the news. It's the big companies that experience the massive data breaches. Those are the ones that make the news. The smaller companies that experience sort of those quote unquote smaller data breaches, you never hear about them because they go out go, go out of business. The 
prime example that I like giving for that one is you, do you remember a few years back, I'm going to say it was probably about six or seven years, maybe longer, when Target, the, the retail store, got, got uh, breached. There was a massive data breach yeah. there. What happened there was that their HVAC vendor, which was a small company, uh, they're the ones that got compromised. And through that access, Target's uh, internal network got compromised. Hmm. Target survived. Target still is, an, is a retail organization. That HVAC vendor, which no one knows the name of, it's gone. It no longer exists. Poof, it disappeared. Um, and because they weren't able to do, they didn't focus on at least doing some basics when it came to cybersecurity. So I use that as a prime example of how it truly is an existential threat. That's that's a great example, and I feel like that's also one of the, it really underscores the fact that small businesses and even medium-sized businesses, like you're describing, a thousand employees, um, which on, on, the grand, on the grand scale are, are still pretty small, yeah. uh, that those businesses really survive. One, they work on incredibly small cash flow margins, um, yes. by and large, and we all, over the last few months, discovered that restaurants mostly don't have two weeks of cash in the bank, right? Yeah. And that the amount of mom and pop restaurants have been in business for 20, 30 years went out of business in a week and a half because there just wasn't enough money to weather the storm, um, no matter how successful they had been, because that's just not the operating model. And yeah. um, and that these big businesses, they have, one, they have the cash flow, but, but they also, they have access, at least in the U.S., to an unbelievable amount of additional cash, bailout, no interest loans. I mean, yeah. stuff. There's a that big war someone, chest. <laughs> yeah, there really is. And I mean, that I think over the last few months, it was really underscored that that problem for, you know, folks like me, uh, you know, sole proprietors, where the U.S. had to rewrite the laws overnight to help people like me survive, mm-hmm. which they never would have done if it had only been a couple of us. But it was yeah. the entire country's small businesses and sole proprietors that you know how they always always say small business is the backbone of the economy and people are like nah that's just something you say to make yourself feel better it's like no it turns out if we if we had collapsed the whole country would have collapsed um and so but what they had to go through to 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 even help us a little bit was amazing and then for me it also underscores the fact that small businesses really thrive on trust Right, the trust of their customers, their clients, um, and even their own employees, and that a large business, for some reason, when they get to a certain level, they seem to be able to get away with breaching trust without losing. Like Amazon's breached my trust many times. So is Facebook. I'm still ordering from Amazon. I'm still using <laughs> Facebook because there's just nowhere else to go once you get to that level. That's that's so true. And you know, it's interesting you mentioned that concept of trust. And one of the fields which I, I truly believe is going to be emerging over, over the next uh, few years into the next decade is this concept, what I refer to as digital trust, uh, in, in which uh, you know, there's that concept. And I think it's like you're pointing out there, I think it's much more so important with um, from a consumer perspective, that relationship with smaller mid-sized organizations, but even that concept of trust between businesses. If you know big company A cannot trust small company uh, C with how they're protecting their data or in terms of how they're uh, interacting, they're going to go somewhere else, uh, and then that 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 smaller company will now lose out uh, um, uh, on a big contract or a big customer there. So I mean, from that business to business model, you know, there's I, I'm, like I said, I'm really seeing that that concept of digital trust really emerging, in which that was never really thought of before. But if you can't trust that 
company with your data and, and uh, uh, from a security perspective, you know, the, the massive amounts of money are at stake now. Yeah, and that, I, I I feel like the the tide has really shifted over the last twelve, uh, you know, ten years or so from. Um, attention being the big asset, right? Everybody was yeah. just trying to get attention. Now attention's easy. You can buy attention, right? You can just, <laughs> yeah. you can just pay money for ads and shove your message in front of everybody on the on the planet. But but earning trust is is the whole game, and 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 connecting with those people, and and a huge part of connection is is trust. Um, so I, I I'd like to to back up into kind of where how you ended up in in this field. Was this I mean do you, you know, when you're five years old, are you like, I'm going to do cybersecurity, you know, like how, how do you, do you end up like walking backwards and tripping into a field like this or how, how intentional talk, talk me through that. Yeah. I mean, my, my, uh, uh my origin story, um, uh, goes back to, uh, to my late, my late, uh, high school, uh, day. So, um, my, my dad was since retired, was a, was a high school teacher and, uh, he, he, uh, he taught physics and, and computer science. And, uh, I always knew at an early age, I wanted to do something with computers. You know, I, I was always really interested, uh, in that, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a product of the, of the early nineties or I grew up in the, in the nineties, I should say. And, uh, um, so when I, when I got to, uh, uh, wanted to figure out what I wanted to do in life, what was one of my passions, uh, my dad just brought home a huge, he would always get this huge stack of, you know, IT computer magazines, he'd say, you know what, there's probably something in this massive stack. I'm not kidding. It was probably a stack of like 200. He said, I get these in my mailbox all the time. I've been stacking them on my desk at work. He said, I've been looking for somewhere to dump them. I'm going to dump them in your room. So he put, <laughs> put that massive stack uh, in there. And he said, there's got to be something in there. So uh, this is uh, late in my, um, in my grade 12 year. And uh, I was going through it and nothing was sticking. And then this magazine appeared out of nowhere, uh, and I looked at it, and it said information security. And I thought, what the hell is information security? <laughs> and uh, I, op- I opened it up, and I, I still I still do have that uh, um, magazine somewhere in my home office. <laughs> I had to dig it out, but uh, uh, yeah, I, 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 I was just enthralled by it. I, I love, I will say this, the early 90s, so that I also, I'm an 80s baby, but I grew up, like my memory of childhood is, is the early 90s, right? Nice, yeah. And you and my I father- <laughs> Exactly. And my father is a computer scientist, and so is my mom. My mom's a, a systems engineer, a programmer. My dad's a theoretical computer scientist. So I grew up just around computers, and I knew how to type without looking before any of my friends <laughs> even owned a computer. You know what I mean? Like, you think about how much has changed just in, in computing and just normal personal computing since we were kids. I mean, man, it's it's it just seems like a different lifetime that I remember I learned how to type on Mario Teaches Typing on uh, <laughs> on a Macintosh. Mario Teaches Typing. And uh, <laughs> so, okay, so at what point then, you were starting to think about this. Now, yep. did you get to a point in school or high school or at some point when you got to do a computer class? Where did that go? Yeah, so I mean, the, the, that, 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 that magazine really, really spurred um, uh, additional interest in, in me. And uh, it was at that point that, you know, I... I, I was going to go to university. I was going to study uh, computer science. And that, that was something which I, I knew, I would say, uh, probably in my grade 10 or 11 year. But I realized that cybersecurity was something which really interested me and I really wanted to focus on. And when I got to university and started studying uh, in, the, in uh, computer science, I went through my four-year degree and the word cybersecurity was mentioned once. 
And that was mm. by me. I asked the question about it. <laughs> so uh, it, it was a lot of what I, I learned about cybersecurity in the early days was stuff that was self-taught. And I just, uh, I've always been an avid reader. So I just absorbed as much stuff as I, as I possibly could. And um, when I graduated, I, I held out. I wanted something in related to cybersecurity. And I'm a bit of a rarity in which most cybersecurity professionals come up through IT or through a non on cybersecurity role. I'm one of the few who have been, I would say, very lucky and humbled to have spent my entire 15-year career only doing cybersecurity. You know, so it's, uh, I mean, was very lucky, uh, like I said, after graduating, to be able to to, to, to land a role in uh, as, a, as a cybersecurity administrator. Wow, amazing. Okay, so so when you say, so land a role, now you you went through college, you basically never heard the term cybersecurity. <laughs> Somehow you were committed to staying on that route in spite of the fact that you'd spent four years, I almost said wasted four years, you spent four <laughs> years not learning about the thing you wanted to do. How, uh, this is where I, I think all these stories that I, I bring people on to tell always end up tying into connection and networking and, yes. and things like that. I mean, how did you end up finding a a job in that if you hadn't even barely learned about it or you weren't already engrossed in that field? Well, it, it was it's somewhat funny in which, you know, when, uh, like I said, I, I held out that I really felt so strongly about the field and that's why I wanted to do, I didn't want to work my way into it. I, I, I felt I wanted to get that, that to learn right away uh and uh someone took a chance on me and he, he said to me in the, in the interview my first manager he said uh your passion is through the roof he said i've never met someone who's incredibly passionate about this field that uh your energy is amazing he said we've interviewed people who are more senior than you like would be better in the role than you he said none of them are going to be able to bring the type of passion and energy that that you've shown in, in this interview he said I'm going to pay you peanuts, uh, but uh, uh, so I, I think you're going to have a really great, you know, first gig here. And uh, I said, I'll, I said, that's awesome. I'll take it. When do I start? You know, and um, that that was something which you know, all these years later, I still remember. And why, for me personally, when I when someone tells me that they're interested in the industry, I will move heaven and earth to try and get someone a job in cybersecurity because if that if my first manager had not taken a chance on me. Who knows? I may have ended up being a lawyer, or some some something else that the world doesn't need more of. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, why, why is it lawyers are always yeah. the ones that we slam down yeah. in our examples? I feel like attorney or accountant. They're always my two yeah. examples of yes. like. Is <laughs> you better use car salesperson? <laughs> or use car for bad sales? Yeah, 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 yeah. I feel I'm sorry to all my really exciting accountant friends, of which I think I have none. Um, I not that I have no exciting friends, just none that are accountants. Um, I don't think it's getting better as I'm talking but nonetheless <laughs> accountants are like writing off my podcast as we speak so so you ended up uh yeah so you ended up somebody took a chance on you i i, I love that because i feel like there i always assume that everybody had that moment where there was a teacher or uh, a coach or a first manager or boss that took a chance on them and that's how they learned to you know that uh, uh uh, to get into their career, to build self-confidence, that, that what they're doing was on the right track. And it's also how people learn to then pass that along when they get into that same position. But based on the amount of self-help books and questions that people ask all the time on the internet, I worry that it's actually pretty rare to have that moment that it's really, I feel like everybody's had it because those are the people I talk to, right? That it's like a confirmation bias. Um, 
What would you say to someone then that's that's trying to get into uh, maybe not even cybersecurity, just any any field really, especially a young person today? You know, my little sister, we have a big age gap, and she graduated college in May. She was one of this generation that graduated virtually, watching a virtual commencement and ceremony after four years of hard work and just had to sit there on her laptop by herself and graduate. Uh, you know, she's entering a world that, you know, for maybe the better part of the next two years is going to be very unpredictable. Yeah. What kind of advice do you have then for somebody in that position, a young person that's really trying to get their their start in their field? That's such a great question, Brian. You know, and I, I'm very humbled to be in a position now where I, uh, even through pl- platforms like LinkedIn, I get a, l- a lot of students reaching out saying, oh, what, what would you suggest? What, what should I focus on? And a lot, a lot of them will say, you know, uh, are there textbooks that I should buy? You know, there's there things I, I should uh, invest in, a certification or what have you? And the number one answer I always give is invest in relationships. Uh, I, one thing I wish someone had told me early on, I only started really investing in uh, relationships probably when I started as an entrepreneur, so about five years ago, um, but nothing gives you the, that type of return on investment than uh, uh, investing in relationships. It is truly, truly remarkable. And having virtual platforms like LinkedIn to be able to connect with people all around the world uh, has been truly amazing. And what it's done for me personally and professionally is incredible. I, I don't even have the premium version of LinkedIn. You know, <laughs> it's just it's just investing I. my time. I, I got to tell you, I, I've never paid for LinkedIn any version of it ever. Um, yeah. I, I've, I've had the free version. And and I have to tell you, I love that you brought up virtual platforms because for the last couple of months, there's been so much panic around how am I going to network? How am I going to, to build relationships and build connection in a virtual world? So much so that I'm now making a living literally shifting from having given keynotes and stuff in the real world to I'm giving interactive workshops on how to build connection in the virtual world. I I hate to tell you this. They're exactly the same. Everything I'm talking about is exactly the same as I was talking about in person. I mean, there's literally no different advice, but people are hung up on this idea that if it's virtual, somehow you can't do it. It's like, no, the beauty of virtual is that it doesn't just have to be the person standing in the room that you're in. It's yes. anyone, everywhere, at all times. It's amazing the opportunities right That's now. That's so so true, Brian. I think there's been this this long held fallacy that you know you need to meet someone in person in order to you know uh, uh, develop a relationship. Uh, just on LinkedIn, uh, there uh, the, the connections I've made, the friendships I've built, um, have been absolutely incredible. In fact, one of my closest closest friends, a dear dear friend of mine, uh, just random LinkedIn connection. You know. He's, he's, he's in the cybersecurity uh, uh, realm as well. Uh, he's based in, in Toronto, Canada, and I'm, I'm, I'm here in Vancouver. I've only ever met him once in person, uh, but he and I have this incredible friendship uh, now. We we chat once a week, every every Friday morning. Um, you know, it's it's, uh, and he and I are just uh, you know, we confide so much in each other, and it's truly truly remarkable. Uh, and I think it, it, it to me shatters the myth that. To develop a meaningful relationship, you need to meet someone that to be to be in person. To me, that's that's not true. Man, I I, I just I so I, I agree with that so much. I don't even have the words the words <laughs> for it. I have so many meaningful relationships with people I've never met in person in yeah. my life. Many of the most fulfilling ones, and and then even when I think about some you know like like my best friends um, in the world that 
uh, I moved out of state a long, long time. I mean, f- 15 years ago, I moved away from home, from my hometown, yeah. and most of them stayed there. And uh, one of my best friends in the world, I- I'm lucky if I see him once a year. And now it could be f- who knows how long before I see him again. But we talk three hours a week, four hours a week sometimes yeah. still. We get on video calls. We get on regular calls if we're not into video at that moment. And our relationship hasn't changed. If anything, it's gotten deeper because it's forced us to intentionally be in touch as opposed to when you see people in the real world all the time, it's easy to just like think, it's easy to think that because you're in the room with them, you're somehow building on your relationship. It, it, it That doesn't mean you're building on your relationship just because you're physically sharing the same space. And, and you know, and, and another fallacy, uh, you know, uh, in terms of relationship, there in which you know people think, well, I have to, you know, spend a lot of time with someone in order to develop a meaningful relationship with someone. One of my dearest and best friends uh, is someone who I'm, I'm lucky that I get to chat with maybe once a quarter, once or twice a quarter. But when we talk, it's it, we just pick up like when we left when we last chatted, right? It's, it's, it's incredibly meaningful, uh, uh, dialogue and conversation. And, you know, it's, those are the hallmarks of amazing friendships where you you can go weeks and months without talking with someone. And when you meet them again, you just hit the ground running, you know, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's truly amazing. And, uh, even in the case of just you and I, you know, you you and I had such an awesome first convo. And then as soon as we just had a second convo, it's like, we just picked up the ball where, uh, from where we last uh, left off again, it's, it's, it's not the physical proximity which makes friendships. To me, it, it comes from within. If you're using a virtual platform, uh, it, you can still have an amazing friendship. To me, friendships start from within you, not physical proximity. And and we this is such a good case study too. So let me let me talk the 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 listener right now through how you and I ended up having this conversation we're having right now because uh, you sent me a cold invite. Uh, you know, a cold connection on LinkedIn. I had never heard of you. I didn't know you through mutual friends, but you had discovered me because you were following Heather Monahan. I've traced it back. That's now. exactly right. <laughs> so you you were following Heather Monahan, who is amazing and wonderful and and lovely. And she uh, came on my podcast, did me a great honor. And how I ended up connected with her is a whole story that even informs this one, but for maybe a different time. And and so. So you were following her. She was on my podcast. She promoted her episode on my podcast. You saw me. You listened. You liked something about the way I was having that conversation. So you connected with me. Now, there was nothing to it. I think you literally said, you know, really enjoy your work. Just would like to learn more about you. Find more about your work. That was it. That was good enough for me. I was like, hey, you know, like my work. Good enough for me. You know, like, you know, um, uh, I, uh, you know, it's like that, that flattery is always a good place to start. You know what I mean? And, and so, so then we got connected, which means now on LinkedIn, LinkedIn actually seems to prioritize your latest, newest connections. It keeps showing you, like, yes. your, your new connection just posted this. It does that for a little bit. So I kept seeing your name pop up in my notifications, and I would check it out because what else am I doing? And if I'm on LinkedIn, I may as well see something new. And then you did a guest spot on uh, Sarah Elkin's podcast, right. yeah. which was also random how you ended up on there because you didn't know her at all either. Right. Um, and I, I just want to underscore the amount of 
quote, seeming randomness in all of this. So, so you were on her podcast. She posted a little clip. I listened to that clip. You were speaking very openly about um, family history of mental illness, which so so do I, and 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 my wife's a therapist, and and so like we, there's you know I I'm involved in that world, and that felt I really felt connected with you, and so I ended up reaching out to you to have a chat. We jumped on a Zoom call. For, for no real purpose in particular other than getting to know each other. You were asking about how you could help me. I was asking how I could help you. And we ended up deciding you would be great for this podcast. And so within the span of just like two months of a cold connection, you know, we've got the the foundation of relationship. And honestly, like I, I would tell the listener, intentionality is the, is, is the key here. This stuff so looks true. random, but it's not. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and I think that's what's so powerful about platforms like LinkedIn is that, when you come from a place of intention and from a place of you know genuinely wanting to uh, learn more about someone to see how you can collaborate to, to to help each other, nothing pisses me off more than the "Hey, can I have fifteen minutes to pick your brain?" <laughs> There's no intentionality behind that. You know, it, it, it you need to again lead with value. You know, show that you know I, I want to. I, I like what you have to say. Uh, I think I have something powerful to say. You know, maybe there's an opportunity for us to collaborate, work together. Right? That, that's how that's how you create. I'm a firm believer in which you can create your own positive chaos. Right? Mm-hmm. And you need to be able to do that by by, by reaching out and 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 uh, uh, connecting with people. And LinkedIn is just an amazing, amazing platform for those who lead with intention. So what do you actually recommend as a practical method instead of can I pick your brain or it used to be in 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 because because that is one of my I I made a blog post about that recently because it's one of my yes, least right. favorite phrases in the world. Um I'd like my brain unpicked. Thank you very much. But but also you know it used to be like hey can I take you out for coffee? You know, let me yeah. can I take you out for coffee and pick your brain? I used to used to think to myself, man, I can afford my own coffee. Like you're asking for something worth way more than a cup of coffee. You're asking for an hour of my time. I got to drive there and drive back. And if you actually think I'm someone, if if you're you think I have so much value that you're going out of your way to ask for my time, you know my time is worth more than a cup of coffee. So give me something as a reason to say yes. Now I've said yes to yeah. get a cup of coffee, and I've said yes to pick your brain, but never when it was phrased like that. So yeah. what would you recommend to somebody as a way to reach out? Well, to me, one of the things uh, that, that uh, at least the, the strategies that, that I use is you know, when I'm on LinkedIn and like you're trying to you know engage with new content and find what's out there, when I find people who I feel are genuine and are authentic and are, 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 are worth my time for reaching out to uh, to connect, I think it's important that your, your viewers understand that they should be valuing their own time as well. Um, and then when you do reach out, you know, you, you mentioned it earlier there, Brian, um, send a positive message, you know, give, give someone a compliment. I love when people pump up my ego. Someone says, Hey, saw your video. It's fantastic. Frick. I'll give you 50 minutes of my time just because you, you said you like my content, you know, like, uh, um, it does go, it does go a long way. Again, don't be fake about it. You know, if you don't like it, don't reach out, you know, but if you're coming again from a place of authenticity, and uh, genuinely wanting to, to learn more, I love it when people just ask open-ended questions saying, hey, I love the recent video that you just did on X. Uh, you know, well, we're, we're working on something similar. Or, you know, well, well, I'd love to learn more about X. Want to get your thoughts uh, on that. Maybe there's areas where we can collaborate and work together. To me, using the word collaborate is music to my ears. I am someone who loves collaborating with, with people, especially people who have nothing to do with cybersecurity, uh, because yeah. then it's that's to me is how you can make some uh, magic happen. Yeah, no, it's it's so true, and I uh, 
I'm just thinking too about how easy it is to get a little gun shy because you get them all day. I'm sure I get them all day on LinkedIn, which is these obvious copy and paste sales pitches. And, and they used to be really easy to tell. Um, they're getting a little bit more clever now, right? And so sometimes what they've realized is by saying, hey, I'm really digging your work. Let's connect. Um, and what I've it's too generic. Right. And, and, and if the only, or, or even they've gotten, sometimes they get a little bit more clever. Cause this is when, what I mean by this is this is a person who is only connect letting, they want you to hit the connect button. Cause the next thing that's coming is like a three paragraph copy right. paste pitch about their service. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I'm not talking about a person who's genuinely trying to make a connection or is actually looking for help or even, even is looking for potentially, um, a relationship that could lead to a sale, but the people who are just going to give you the cold pitch. And sometimes the way the red flag lately is their comment is about is just uses the title of the most recent thing I posted, right? Loved your video on and it's it's like all in capitals as if they just copy pasted the actual title of the blog post that I just like if you're going to compliment, if you're going to reach out cold genuinely and compliment someone, at least go back a couple of things <laughs> so that they have an idea that you've actually seen their work. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the things, too, uh, which I would suggest as well is even before reaching out, take the time to comment on people's videos or content, yeah. you know, uh, show a level of engagement first. And then, you know, if I see people who are continually engaging and then reach out. Again, I'm more likely to respond because they've taken the time to engage with my content, leave a meaningful con uh, comment. I'll leave. I'll, I'll reply to their comment. So, uh, even for people who just want to reach out to someone, start off by engaging with the content, then reach out. Uh, that yes, absolutely. That that and that. Uh, I feel like at this point, I can tell that that is essentially how I landed one of my favorite, one of my biggest guests, which is Shama Haider, who mm. is like a legend That's in amazing. in you know in in uh, in digital marketing. I mean, she basically invented social media marketing, and and you know she she's a proper thought leader, a proper a list in this world. And I had been following her on LinkedIn for for ages and never commented. And at one point, I realized I, I'd love to have her on my podcast someday. And then I. I was about to reach out to her and I'm like, oh, she doesn't know me from anyone. I'd have to open the email by name dropping a bunch of other people and right. And so I thought, all right, let me, this was back in my first season. So I thought, let me, I want, I want to try to get her on season two. So I'm looking six months down the road now, eight months down the road. Yeah. So even though I'd been follower for a while, like I said, I just passively never commented. So I started intentionally making sure that every time I did consumer content that I did enjoy, not doing it fake, but when I enjoyed something that came through my feed, little comment, hit a like button, whatever, yeah. whatever. And I found that over a few months, she had started to realize who I was because she had responded because she's really good about that, right? Yeah. So she'll respond and say, oh, thanks so much for this. And, oh, Brian, great to see you again. I appreciate that comment or, you know, blah, blah, blah. So after three or four months, when I did reach out to her via email, I was able to say, hey, Shama, we've had some really great exchanges on your LinkedIn posts recently. Yes. I've got a podcast about X, Y, and Z, and I think you'd be a great fit for my audience. Would you be interested, you know, in, in talking about that more? And she just said yes instantly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and that is the way I feel like people get when you tell people about, quote, methods like that, they feel like it's like some scam. It's like, no, it's just taking things that you do genuinely and being intentional about it. 
I, I, absolutely. You know, the, the, there's 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 no formula to it. You know, and and I think the you know the key theme as well is you have to be consistent. You know, provide that consistency. Consistently do that over a span of weeks and months. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've had someone comment on a post of mine, then send me a message saying, "Hey, I recently commented on your post. Do you think you can help me find a job?" This isn't a this isn't to, you know tick for tack kind of thing. It doesn't mean I reciprocate just because you left one comment, you know. And the thing is that there's still so many people who subscribe to that short term instant gratification um, uh, mindset rather than the invest in a relationship. Again, in this digital age and this virtual age, one of the ways that you can start a relationship is by engaging with content, engaging with the, the people uh, uh, on platforms like LinkedIn, and doing so consistently. But like consistently over weeks and months, not just doing it once and expect, expecting to be paid handsomely in return. <laughs> so, uh, so we we got this. We got a story from you already, kind of a mini story about how you got your first job, and a guy, his you know, manager, took a took a risk on you. Uh, the the whole core theme of this show has always been uh, from the very beginning: chance encounters, lasting impact. The fact that you know um, the seemingly insignificant interactions that we have on a day-to-day basis can actually be incredibly meaningful and incredibly beneficial. And, and the, 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 even the tagline of the show is, every interaction is meaningful, every person you meet is important. Um, so do you have a story that comes to mind, either personally or professionally, of like a chance encounter that really had an impact on your life in, in a way that, that even may not be obvious from the outside, or it may be. You know, some people come on and they say, you know, bumped into the hiring manager at the company of my dreams while waiting in line for coffee. And that's the the Hollywood version of that story. And some people have that. And some people have that happen. But a lot more often I find it was a random conversation in the world of someone that they probably never saw again or really didn't end up following up with, but it stuck with them for some reason or anywhere in between. Do you do you have something for us? Yeah, I, I, absolutely, I do. And you know, I, I would say, very, I mean, very much blend my, my personal and, and, and professional. So when I started working, I always thought I was someone who was going to just work up the corporate ladder, going to be a corporate uh, person through and through. And you know, for ten years of my career, I, I, I built up built up my, my career and you know, being in, being to a spot where I was in charge of a cybersecurity team. And um, I was really miserable. I, I absolutely hated it. I was just uh, cynical. I was jaded. I was not a happy person. And my, my brother had been in my ear for, for years saying, you know, you should be an entrepreneur and you, you should you know, uh, go out on your own. And I, I viewed that as being just too risky. I, I didn't, I didn't want to do that. And, um, you know, uh, uh, one day when I was at a, a, a coffee shop waiting in line and, uh, I was just scrolling through my, uh, uh messages from work and I just, I, I just dro- dropped an F-bomb just waiting in line. And, you know, uh, I was just so pissed off about an email that I saw and the, gentleman in front of me looked, looked uh, back at me and he said, uh, tough day at the office. And I said, yeah, I said, I, I just, some days I can't imagine my boss getting any stupider and, uh, but somehow he proves me wrong. And the, uh, and the, and the, the guy look, uh, uh, looked at me, he said, you know what, you know, it, it's, um, it's okay to work for idiots, but only if you're that idiot. And I, and I, and the guy smiled and got his coffee and went on. And I, I couldn't stop thinking about that, what, what he said. And, um, and then if, you know, I, a few more weeks went on and, and then I realized, I, I, I thought to myself, Oh, if that guy was saying, if there's any idiot who should tell me what to do, it should be this idiot. <laughs> and, and so I, I had that moment of, of epiphany and it was from sort of 
that that led to I would say my uh, my final days uh, in the corporate when I then started to listen actually to my brother. I started listening to my friend who was a recruiter saying that I was getting screwed over in in, in corporate that I could be paid more as an independent contractor and being more of an entrepreneur, I had shunned those conversations. I didn't listen to them. So that chance encounter really opened my eyes to listening to the people who had been really you know, looking out for me from, uh, from day one. And that's oh, allowed man. me to have this incredible entrepreneurial journey five years later. That see that, that is exactly the kind of, those are exactly the kind of stories that this podcast was originally about when I first launched it that I worry that I've gotten away from a little bit. I'm so glad you told me that. Um, <laughs> it's so easy to fall into just, you know, the origin story conversations and yeah. the, the, the hiring manager stories and stuff like that. But man, that, that is so, so good. My, so my, I, I, I wonder about that, you know, if you had not already had that bug in your ear from, mm-hmm. uh, you said your brother, right. Um, or, or for some other folks, you know, would you have noticed that comment or would it have just floated on by? Like, I, I think about that stuff all the time. <laughs> that's a, that's a really, really good question, Brian. And, and anyway, it, um, I, I went years without th- thinking twice about, uh, uh, about that. It was actually only in the, in, since, since COVID hit that, uh, uh, I rethought about that conversation. And uh, like I said, honestly, I hadn't thought about it in years. So it's fairly good timing. That, that, uh, <laughs> otherwise I would have forgotten about it, but, uh, um, yeah, you know what? I, I, I don't, I don't think um, if, if he had said that, I don't think it would have had the same impact because uh, the only life I thought I knew was being in corporate, um, you know, the, to be that, that 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 type of person. I, I I never fully realized that, and at the time, I was a very me-centric person. All I was focused on was my career and getting to the next level. You know, uh, uh, on so many levels, I've never, I've, I'll never have the chance to thank that gentleman because that journey I went on not just grew me professionally, but personally as well. The self discovery I've gone on uh, over the past five years of being someone who I thought I was introverted and just like, you know, doing all things cybersecurity, just put my nose to the grindstone to find out that I'm someone who's very extroverted. I love relationships. I love meeting new people. I love talking. Um, you know, it, it's when I, when I tell my kids about, who I was before. They don't believe me because all they do is see me on the phone all day talking. You know, they, that's what they think their dad does for a living, you know? And, um, I, like I said, I, all this stuff in terms of who I was and how I flipped that me to a, we, um, has been truly remarkable. And the person that I thought I was, that wasn't me. You know, I've, uh, that person kickstarted me onto the journey in terms of who I was meant to become. You know that that is uh, that is such a good lesson too, because that underscores a really recurring theme on on this show and in in my work over the last few years, which is uh, because my background's in philosophy of language, and so I think about language a lot in terms of um, you know how our language actually impacts the world and yeah. and language and the terms we use and the titles that we use to describe others but more importantly to describe ourselves really matter like they they change the decisions that we make because when you when when you call yourself an employee versus yeah. when you call yourself an entrepreneur or an owner um you make different decisions you see yourself differently you carry yourself differently you have to right when you introduced yourself back when you were in corporate america you would and someone would say what do you do you'd have to say well i work at i'm employee yeah. of Right. But now you get to say I own or I'm an entrepreneur. um, And there's a different weight that comes with that. Oh, absolutely. And that's the the, the connotation and power behind 
words, you know, and, and they really do have an impact on, on our lives, you know, and, 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 you know, even having left corporate, you know, what I've, what I've seen as well is the ability to be able to speak more freely. You know, uh, a lot of people talk about, you know, the, their corporate selves, you know, especially in my final days there, I really realized that I was living two lives. There was corporate me and then there was real me, you know, and uh, I hated corporate me. I'm, proud to say that corporate me is buried in the backyard you'll never see the light of day again <laughs> you know? so so uh, um but like like, like again it, it, back to the power of words in which the words i had to use at work um you know i i couldn't speak almost you know freely to the point of being authentic to myself you know and and um you know using words that didn't me- weren't meaningful to me but words that i had to say to be able to um you know uh be accepted in in in, in, a, in a corporate atmosphere that that makes me th- uh, that just brought up a, a, a maybe a totally random question, but I think it's really related to, to no, I, I think it's really related to this because so first, do you have employees? Uh, no, there's there's myself, my business partner, and then we have freelancers. So so I find this when I talk to entrepreneurs, they always talk about how they hated themselves in corporate and then they got out and now they're entrepreneurs. And a lot of times they have now employees. And I always think, you know, they're always touting this message of you should go out for yourself. You should be an entrepreneur. And I always think, yeah, but you can't mean that for your own employees. Otherwise, you'd have no one working for you. Right. So I I worry sometimes that we, uh, you know, I'm self-employed. We get a little too happy about the idea of working for yourself. Not everybody is made for and not everybody should be working for themselves. And I, there is a way to work for someone else and still be your true self, right? Be your authentic Absolutely. self and be valued and be meaning. Do, do you have any thoughts on, like, let me, maybe the question is, what could your organization or your company culture or your management done to let to to keep you there to keep someone as talented and as smart as you in the company instead of heading out to do your own thing for me really it's the fact that so many organizations they talk about values you'll walk into organizations where they have all these amazing values here's our mission statement all the amazing things that we do our culture and it's printed up on the walls and everything looks really nice and fancy then when you watch the leaders in action there they do the complete opposite you know, I work for someone who called himself a servant leader, but he was a micromanaging, I'm trying to think what word uh, <laughs> to use, but uh, insert swear word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he wasn't a servant leader, you know, and again, that, it rang hollow. It was not an authentic place to work. Uh, so again, that's not to say that's true of all of corporate America. There are great right. large organizations that not just say what they do in terms of a culture and values, but they actually live by that because they have leaders, not just micromanagers. They have leaders who, who live by that and embody that every single day. And when you have empathetic leaders, then, you know, I, I know, honestly, I likely uh, would have stayed. You know, I love the organization. I hated the people I work for. And that's the old adage. You, know, you don't leave companies, you leave the people you work for. Absolutely. And you know, on the, on that note, I got to say what's so funny about that is from my previous career in being a magician, you know, a full-time magician for 10 years. I mean, I, I, I did that full-time. Um, and a lot of my work was, was for corporate and a lot of that, especially in December and January were holiday parties. And now I always tell people, if you want to know how the culture is at any company, large or small, all you got to do is spend 10 minutes in the cocktail hour of the company holiday party and just listen, listen yeah. to the conversations because you'd, you'd be able to tell instantly because 
so often I would be there setting up for my show, for the after dinner show, and I would just be overhearing. And, and I was in kind of streets while I was setting up. People didn't even realize I was the magician, right? So they were just talking. Or even if they did know it was me, they figured, ah, it's just a magician. I can tell yeah. him anything, yeah. right? You'd hear people talking. And it was amazing how sometimes these organizations had spent, clearly had spent a fortune on these parties, but all anybody was doing was complaining. Yeah. And to me, that says that this party was being seen as a way to make up for a crappy culture. Exactly. Right? To, to Not to apologize, but to say, but look, look what, yeah. what we do for you. Yeah. Whereas sometimes- Open bar. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I, and then there were other times when an organization that clearly was barely making ends meet would throw this wonderful private dinner in the back of the best restaurant they could afford. Yep. And the gratitude in that room and yeah. the, the, it was just amazing. Yeah. You know, so that's, it's, so, yeah, that's it's, so, so true, Brian. You know, and again, cult, to me, uh, people say this all the time, you know, culture eats strategy for, for breakfast. Culture is the, is the foundational underpinning of any successful company. So let's, let's pull this in here. I, I want to ask you one really I think practical question uh, that'll be really useful because uh, I, I get sucked in just like you do, I think, to mindset stuff. Yeah. And every so often people are like, just tell me what to do. Yeah. And uh, they just want something practical. So you're talking to someone like me, maybe a sole, sole proprietor, small business entrepreneur. What am I doing wrong with cybersecurity that I don't even realize? Uh, to me, one, 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 there's two things I always tell people to do, uh, sole proprietor, even small businesses. Uh, use a password manager, so something like LastPass, Freely downloadable allows you to just have a bunch of different secure passwords, which you don't have to remember. You just have to remember one, and then that all populates into all your websites and, and whatever services you use, and can be done securely. The second one is to leverage what's referred to as multi-factor authentication. So if you're using like G Suite or Office 365, that's your username, password, and then you'll get a one-time code uh, sent to your phone. You enter that code, then that that adds extra layers of security around your password. The reason why that's important is that passwords are the most commonly breached uh, data item uh, today. And most people will reuse their passwords on multiple different sites uh, for personal and for uh, uh, for business. So to, to really combat one of the most uh, prevalent threats right now, which is you know basically attackers taking passwords and using those all over the place, password manager, multi-factor authentication, that takes your risk reduction, or reduces your cyber risk from here down to here. You heard it here. That was Dominic's keynote. Uh, that was, uh, that was in, a TED in, talk. in 30 seconds. That was a TED talk. That was that was it. The rest is cute pictures of cats playing with yarn. Um, so that that I'm so I, I got to tell you, I asked that question immediately regretting it because I was like, oh, he's going to give me a whole bunch of stuff to do that I don't already do. I do both of those things. Cha-ching. Perfect, Brian. So, Keep it yeah, simple. I, I, uh, I use one password. I have no affiliation with them. Uh, I know LastPass or does yep. does great. Uh, All the same. Uh, any of them, basically, they're really easy. And it's amazing because every time that you have to create, you know, because we each have, what, 400 passwords now? <laughs> every time, instead of using the same one on everything like we used yeah. to, um, I, you know, I go and it just says generate and I get to choose how exactly. many characters and how, and I'll go 24 characters usually, yeah. which is yeah. insanity, right? I mean, yeah. you'd have to be working parallel supercomputers to be cracking these things. That's ex exactly um, right. So, and maybe they are, but if they, at that point they earned it, you know what I mean? Like, like the, there's only so much you can do. The, the thing I always tell people, again, both personally and from even like a small business perspective, don't be low hanging fruit. There's so many people out there, so many organizations that do, don't even do the basics. If you do the basics, do them well, 
you make it that much harder. And, and bad, you know, criminals at the end of the day, they take an economic approach. You know, uh, they, if there's all sorts of uh, low hanging fruit, they'll take the least path of resistance. Dominic, where should people find you uh, if there's uh, folks who are interested in working with you or picking your brain over a cup of coffee? Where should they uh, Where should they find you? So please just find, best way to find me is just on LinkedIn. Dominic Vogel, I'm, I'm the only one out there. Please feel free to reach out, connect. Uh, I'm always happy to chat. I love it when people reach out. I'm so jealous of the fact that you got to say I'm the only one out there, Dominic <laughs> Vogel, because I have one of the most common names in America, <laughs> Brian Miller. There's 5,000 of us in America alone. There were three of me in my high school while I was in high school. Um, yeah, I can never get my name as as anything. I always have to make stuff up. So anyway, so I'll make sure that your uh, LinkedIn is in the show notes, a uh, link to that, and also a link to your website. Yeah, we'll have the company website cyber sc you can even reach out to me through, uh, through through there as well but uh, uh like i said everyone's always welcome and i'm very appreciative of you having me on the show brian i had an absolute blast wow what a guy before you sign up for a password manager and check your multi-factor authentication settings here are a few takeaways from this episode first small businesses have the most to lose when it comes to cybersecurity. As small businesses, we thrive and survive on the trust of our clients and customers. When that trust is broken, it's nearly impossible to repair without the war chest, as Dominic calls it, which is available to large corporations, but not to us. Second, Dominic only got to where he is today because, in his words, someone took a chance on him. Three seasons of this podcast have taught me that this is the case for every single success story. Whether you've been lucky enough to have someone take a chance on you, you can always take a chance on someone else. It's always good practice to give as much or more than you get. And finally, it's perfectly possible to make new and meaningful connections in the virtual world. Professionally, LinkedIn is your best bet. Just be sure to offer value consistently before you ask for anything in return. Connect with Dominic on LinkedIn by searching Dominic Vogel or heading to the show notes where you'll also find his website where you can reach out for help on cybersecurity for your organization. If you found value in this or any episode of the podcast, send it to a friend or colleague or share it on LinkedIn and use the hashtag beyond networking so I can find you and thank you. And shout out to the folks who recently left a review on Apple Podcasts. Seriously, it means the world. I really appreciate it. That said, my name is Brian Miller. This is Beyond Networking, and we'll see you next time for the season three finale with one of my dream guests. Music